This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 499. When people don't get this, they end up walking around having this experience of saying, I am so busy, which is really funny, right? Because people say business gives you freedom. Why did you start a business? Oh, so I can have more freedom. And then, of course, we say, uh, How's that working out for you? And the reason why so many people don't get freedom from business is because when you don't know how to run a business, the business runs you right into the ground. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? It's Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my partner in crime, Mr. David Green. What's up, man? Not a whole lot. Actually, there is a lot going on. I always say that, but that's never true. There's a ton that's of never stuff true. going on. You're a liar. You're out of integrity with yourself, man. Yes, and that will make a lot more <laughs> sense after today's episode that our listeners get to hear. All right, listen, guys. I know I say this a lot. I'm always like, that's one of my favorite episodes ever, but I'm not kidding. This is one of my, like, I, I say that all the time, but literally, like, this is one of one of the best episodes I think we ever recorded of the Bigger Pockets podcast, and it has n- everything to do with real estate and nothing to do with real estate all at the same time. You'll see what I mean, but you're going to love this thing. So how's that for a buildup? It's so good. You just did the political thing where you said a lot of words, but didn't say anything. <laughs> no, it's so good. <laughs> I want people to make sure they listen to this whole episode, especially the part about integrity, which we talk about later on in the show. Our guest today is Mr. James Wedmore. So James is an internet entrepreneur. I, uh, even, I shouldn't even say that. An internet business owner. You'll hear the difference later uh, in why the entrepreneur is maybe a bad title to give yourself. Uh, but James has been in the, inla- the internet business for uh, a long time, like over a decade. I first found him like over, before even finding Bigger Pockets, I found James Wedmore. And he was hugely instrumental in the growth of Bigger Pockets at the beginning uh, and the things that I did, the very fact that this podcast, the YouTube, he was helpful in all of that because I followed him so much. And I've been kind of keeping track of him over the years. And he is phenomenal in teaching how to be a leader, how to be a entrepreneur or turned into a business owner. And again, the difference there, we talk about a ton of good stuff today. Uh, eight figure business owner. He's got a podcast called Mind Your Business Podcast with almost 500 episodes and uh, just a really, really good dude. So you're going to love it. But before we get to the interview with James, let's get to today's quick tip. Uh, David, why don't you give us today's quick tip? Because I didn't have one. <laughs> <laughs> today's quick tip is try to put You're much yourself- better on the fly. You're much better on the fly than me. They Do call it. me David Marty McFly. Da- <laughs> David Marty McFly. <laughs> all right, on the fly. Hello, McFly. That's not the way the guy says it at all. That's- Do you know Reliant K's song, Hello, McFly? Have you ever heard that? I know Reliant K, but I don't know that song. That song was that came out when I was like in high school. If you guys want to listen to a great song, go to Spotify. Listen to Hello, McFly by Reliant K. That song was legit. Anyway, sorry, keep going, McFly. Uh, yeah, today's quick tip yeah. is put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Just take a minute to stop the natural response of human nature to try to share our own perspective and even scream our own perspective when we don't feel heard and ask yourself how somebody else feels. If you're the boss, think about how your employees are feeling. And if you're the employee, think about how your boss is feeling. It will give you the superpower of shooting yourself to the top of the list of either being the person someone wants to work for or being the person that that boss wants to promote. So I don't know if there's a better practice that people can develop than thinking about the situation they're in from the other person's side. There you go. That's a great quick tip, man. Very deep. Well, today's a deep episode. Yeah. Passive income without the property headache. It's possible. 
There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. As home prices and interest rates continue to rise and inventory levels dip, it's getting harder to find quality flips and wholesale deals. When there's not enough on-market inventory to go around, it's time to start looking off-market. Lucky for you, there are millions of homeowners nationwide who own a property they need to get off their hands. I got two words for you, my friend. PropStream it. PropStream is the leading real estate data provider and recognized as a Tech 100 honoree by Housing Wire for the fourth consecutive year. With PropStream, you can search over 155 million properties nationwide using 120 plus search filters like pre-foreclosure, bankruptcy, pre-probate, failed listings, and more to help you find motivated sellers in seconds. PropStream offers both public record data and an MLS sales estimate that's over 99% accurate to help you get the most accurate comps even in non-disclosure states. PropStream also provides lead automation, skip tracing, and a marketing suite with emails, postcards, and custom landing pages to close more deals efficiently. Get started today with their seven-day free trial and get 50 leads for free. Head on over to www.propstream.com BP. That's www.propstream.com BP. All right. I think that's it. I think it's time to get into the episode with, with Mr. James Wedmore. Anything you want to say, David, before we jump in? No, this is so good. It's kind of a long episode, but it's full of a lot of really good content. All right, James, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast, man. It's great to have you here. Hey, I'm here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, kind of side anecdote about uh, about my involvement with you in life is I actually learned two things from you uh, specifically I can pull out. I've been following you online forever. But the first one is back in the day, you did a video years. I mean, this is not, probably 10 years ago now, maybe nine years ago on how to do jump cuts uh, with YouTube videos. Do you remember oh the jump cut gosh. video? <laughs> Every one of my yeah. early videos on, on Bigger Pockets YouTube channel, everyone was just copying exactly what you taught me to do. So jump cuts, that was amazing. Thank you. Yep. Uh, saved me so much hassle wow. back then. And the second thing that you once you once used, I don't even know what this is on. It was on Instagram or Facebook. It was years ago. And maybe you still use the analogy today, but you were the original guy that I heard the analogy of uh, that I use all the time now about building bridges. You said something like, look, if you're building this bridge from here to like, you know, financial freedom island or whatever you want to call like you know wealth island people build way too many bridges over there and so if you just like stop building so many bridges and you focus on one you'll get there so david this is the guy who introduced me to that concept well and and just a subtle distinction with that i mean like i'm all about having multiple bridges yeah for sure building multiple at the same time i found myself doing that um and that was kind of my first huge productivity breakthrough 
is that as soon as one project, as soon as one business revenue stream that you're building, as soon as that gets hard or challenging or outside your comfort zone, that's when people switch to the next one. Yeah. And to the next one, the next one, you wake up, you have seven or eight bridges. None of them are finished. You're, uh, you're not, you, you're not going to get any single result, no matter how hard or how long you've been working. So yeah, powerful visual there. Like, I feel like all three of us are probably the type that are a little more visionary. Like we, we get excited about new stuff. So how do you fight against that yeah. to actually finish a bridge? Well, you know, the, the overly simplistic answer is you need a lot of discipline. Um, I, I think like I started talking a few years ago about the idea of the death of the entrepreneur. Um, I think people get so excited and passionate about labeling themselves as an entrepreneur, but there's a lot of a shadow side, uh, untrained bad habits that um, the newbie unseasoned entrepreneur has. And one of them is that they, they're, they're constantly, you know, cause how many people are just saying, follow your passion, follow your passion. And not, not that that's bad advice, but left to your own devices, you just do whatever you mm-hmm. feel excited and passionate about today. And I see a lot of people just getting distracted and distra- distracted. And I, I think one of the habits, characteristics, or ways of being that I had that really um, assisted me, and I think it's something we all need to have, is, is the discipline, the, the habit of discipline. And that is, in the most simplistic sense, is the ability to say no or to say not now. Newer entrepreneurs think that opportunities are rare. Yeah. Right. Like there's, oh, my gosh, I got yeah. an idea and this is probably the only great idea out there. And so they start to say yes more often than no. And the seasoned entrepreneur will tell you time and time again, entre- uh, opportunities, they're everywhere. Yeah, they're, they're everywhere. And really, it's the habit of saying no or not yet or not right now. And so the, the biggest way to manage this whole or curb this multiple bridges syndrome or trying to create 10 businesses at the same time is first to understand the, the consequence of doing that. There's a real phenomenon, you can Google this, called context switching. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. And it basically says, for every project that you add to your list, you lose up to, I think it's like 10%. 10% of your time goes to is wasted going to switching in and out of flow, switching from project A to project B. And so when people have four or five projects, 40 to 50% of their time is completely wasted. So um, imagine this idea where like, I'm hedging my bets. I'm being smart because I'm working on so many things that something's going to work. Something will pay off. Uh, except half of your day goes completely wasted and in the trash can because you're in that like switching, you know, we've been there, right? Like, okay, I'm going to get back into this problem. Like I'm writing a, a, a report or a book and you're trying to get back into flow, you're trying to remember where you left off, you're going back and rereading what you already wrote, all that like extra time and thinking, uh, getting back into that state, wasted energy, wasted time, wasted resources. And that's where I found myself. So if you could get present to how much it's costing you, um, there's, there's just too many studies and evidence that shows if you were to go all in on one to completion, you're going to get to completion far faster. You're going to be far more efficient. And that's, that's really what I get passionate about is performance and efficiency. So I like to say, what is, what is the bridge, if you will, that is closest to completion? Mm. What is the one that's closest to getting done and just giving, committing hundred percent of your time to getting that done? And then where it gets really exciting is you get to bring in a team, VAs, you know, virtual assistants, 
to maintain or monitor that bridge. And then we go to the second one. Yeah. And I think, I think that's what an entrepreneur is. They're a bridge builder, not a bridge maintainer, but you got to get it done before you can get to the next one. Does, I'm actually going to fire the same question at you, David, in a second, but I want to bring up something you just said, James, about the death of an entrepreneur and, and where my mind kind of went with that idea is when people have this identity that I'm an entrepreneur, is it what you're, I don't know if that's what you're saying or not, but this makes a lot of sense in my head. This identity of like, I'm an entrepreneur, I start things versus like you named yeah. your, like your program, like business by design. I'm a business owner is somebody who continues yeah. things, right? Like that's the difference there. I, I have found where all of my successes, I would say, you know, you know, today we have an eight figure company. We're doing multi seven figure launches, a ton of success, very grateful. And I can attribute that the vast majority of that success is not because I'm super entrepreneurial, but because I developed more discipline mm-hmm. and business acumen. Yeah. And um, so many examples of that. Let, let me give you one or two more. Please. I hear this all the time. I'm bored in my business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm so sick of talking about real estate or whatever, right? Yep, like, yep. oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know your business's job is to entertain you all day, right? <laughs> Get a freaking hobby. Yep. But when I look at some of the things that I've done, consistency and rinsing and repeating, we have a launch that we run for my program every year, once a year, business by design. And uh I've sh- I show a graph at our live events to really demonstrate this, but it, the graph is the launch and, and revenue numbers every launch over time. And, you know, when I first launched, it was t- 2016. It was a small beta thing. I, I made $18,000. Our last launch did just under $6 million. Wow. And you see this giant hockey stick, but that's 2016, and I would do it two times. 2017, two times. 2018, two times. 2019, I switched to once. 2020, I launched it again, and we just did it again in 2021. It's the same offer, the same message, the same content, the same strategy every single year. And it just continues to build momentum because everything I'm doing is I'm building off of what works, enhancing things that will make it work more, and um, getting rid of the things that, that didn't work. And that level of consistency has attributed to that huge hockey stick. Dude, we totally find that in, in like the real estate space, right? Like people will buy some property and then they get bored. And then they're like, well, I'm going to try flipping houses. or I'm going to go try to buy this thing. Or I'm going to go build an online business. Or I'm going to go. It's That's exactly yeah. that. They get bored. But if instead you're like, hey, I'm going to be good at like this one thing. I'm going to be good at buying. For example, I buy mobile home parks. A couple of years ago, I was like, I'm just going to go all in on mm-hmm. mobile home parks. It's a, it's a kind of a cool kind of random niche. So I just, be, yeah. I'm like, I'm just going to do it. And so we just buy and we just follow this process. And the key that, the thing that I do to keep out of this, and I know this is something that you talk a lot about as well, is I found a team to keep my bridge building. And so my team launches yes. the 99% of, of the mobile home park business. So I get to have more fun doing a podcast and I get to do other cool, like the pieces that I want to do. And then the team building stuff I get to do, which is fun because it's personal, but I don't get bored of meeting with my team and talking about their struggles and how I can help them. That's not boring ever. And that's the really smart thing is that I think most entrepreneurs are very creative by nature and they, they need that stimulus of creating something new and, and staying excited. Um, so the, the matured entrepreneur, the disciplined entrepreneur, the, the person who's really killed off that entrepreneurial side and then stepped in the business owner is more strategic, just like the way you're describing, Brandon, of 
How do I infuse levels of creativity into the business without removing the model itself, without breaking it? Because that's what the entrepreneur does. They, they say, oh, it worked because that's a lot of what drives them. It's like, let me see what I'm capable of. Let me see if it will work. Let me see if I can do it. I need to prove it to myself. I need to prove it to the world or mom or dad or something like that. And so once something works, they say, maybe I can make it better. Maybe I could do it differently. And so they, in order to do that, they have to break what, what already works. And so a lot of them stay in that, those beginning stages, that, that initial momentum inertia phase. And that's the hardest phase. That, that's what I noticed took the most energy from me. So what we did to keep, because I'm a very creative person, and I do need that creativity cup filled is like I said, it's been the same thing over and over again, but I've been able to add layers to it instead of breaking it and doing it differently, add to it, enhance it. And it's a really silly distinction because to me, it sounds overly simplistic, but I teach this to my students and they're mind blown by this. So we, we do our launch consistently and I share a distinction between a change and an enhancement. And I, I hope this can be universally relevant to a business owner in any area. There is a very important distinction between an enhancement to something versus a change. A change is anything that if you change it, it could decrease results. It could uh, lower sales, lower conversions, lower performance. It could also increase it. So an example for that would be if I'm doing like webinars every month to promote my stuff, and then I say, I'm going to do a challenge, or I'm going to do a live launch, or I'm going to do a video series, a completely different strategy. I change mm -hmm. the strategy that could do better, it could do worse. And then there's an enhancement. An enhancement is basically something that you do that there's one of two things is going to happen. It's either going to, results are going to stay the same or they're going to go up. Simple example of that would be if I wanted to add more testimonials or case studies to my, to my sales page. Or I want to have highly produced sales video, uh, case study videos where we go out, we've done this before, you know, we film our clients in their own home office and stuff like that. That's an enhancement. There's no way that nicer or more testimonials is going to make your sales tank. So we spend more of our time on enhancements and we don't focus on changes because if it ain't broke, why fix it? You know, um, and it, it, it is, it's boring. Yeah. You know, I think business is boring, but you, you, there's still ways you can play within the, the bumper lanes of your, uh, your, your bowling alley, if you will, uh, to create that creativity. I, I hope that makes sense. It makes a thousand percent sense. Hey, David, I'm wondering, I'm going to throw this at you. How does that apply to you? Like whether it's being a real estate agent or being a real estate investor, like this idea of people getting bored and then trying to add on new things and change everything rather than just trying to improve. How have you seen that happen? My wheels have been turning ever since James started talking. And uh, you made me think, James, like I had a thought to myself yesterday where when I go through like periods of depression, I will sleep a lot. And I actually had a thought in my head where I said, dude, you are abusing sleep. And I kind of took a minute to smile. Like, that's just a funny thing to say. How do you abuse <laughs> sleep? Right. But what happened is I came up with this definition that abuse is anytime you're using something outside of what it's intended to be used for. It can be that simple, right? So sleep can become dangerous if I'm turning to it to find comfort instead of whatever it is that I should be doing instead. Mm. And I think that what you're describing, when people say my business is boring, business was never meant to be like your purpose in life or where you get your excitement from. I think this is a problem a lot of people have where 
they quit their job because it just isn't fulfilling type of a thing. Like that could be the move you need to make in life. But maybe the reason your job isn't fulfilling is because it wasn't meant to be fulfilling. It had a different purpose. You could have found fulfillment in your personal life and your relationships and other things that you really should have been doing. And you were abusing your business, using it in a way it wasn't intended to be used. And I think what I'm hearing you say is the reason this is so important is the rules that make business work do not care what personal issues you have that you're trying to use that business for. Okay. Your customers, your clients, yeah. they don't care if you're bored. What they want to know is does this service, does this product make my life better exactly. than other options? And so you you find yourself in dangerous waters when you're making decisions based on is this exciting mm. to me versus is this what's best for the client? I'm just curious if you could, you know, kind of run with that. Absolutely. So um I think people on the outside looking at someone else's business or the idea of business, they get excited about that possibility of like, this could be my passion. This is, this is it. And they falsely assume, I, let's see, this is the best way I could describe it, that one role that exists within mm, the business is all you're yeah. going to do. Like, let me, let's say for an example, you love, co- I love coaching. Okay. I love coaching. I think coaching is the difference that makes the difference. I, I think your business is a reflection of you. So as you grow, your business grows. The amount of coaching, mentor, amazing coaches that I've received in my life that helped me get here, that's the only way I'm here. Like To be able to let go of so many of the stories and the BS and the crap of who I thought I was versus who I thought I wasn't is allowed me to get here. And so I love that. But if I was starting a coaching business today, I would be under a very false notion to think that that would be my business is just coaching all day, right? So there's a very simple principle that we we say over and over again inside my programs, which is the role that you fill determines the results that you receive. And so to be a coach, let's say I have a coaching business, that is one role. And that's wonderful. And there's time in which I'm in that role. There's time in which I'm in the role of hanging out with you guys on a podcast. But to think that the entire business is collapsed into that one and only role is a very ignorant you know, notion to believe because the moment you say, I want a business, the moment you say, I have a business, it actually is an entire entity and organization that exists with multiple roles. And when people don't get this, they end up walking around having this experience of saying, I am so busy. Uh, which is really funny, right? Because people say business gives you freedom. Why did you start yeah. a business? Oh, so I can have more freedom. And then of course we say, uh, how's that working out for you? And the reason why so many people don't get freedom from business is because when you don't know how to run a business, the business runs you right into the ground. And so if if I just look at a digital product-based business, I can create an org chart for digital product-based business. Usually someone gives me a few details about their business in like 20 minutes. And even if they started their business six months ago or less, you'll find that this org chart, and this is sobering news for a lot of people, already has like 10 baked in roles, 10 at least different roles and positions. You have someone who's your copywriter, your social media manager, the content producer that's creating the content, the, the, the marketing department, the sales, the um, just basic admin, customer support. All of these are different roles. And most people bootstrapping it, solopreneur, it's wonderful. That's where we all start. But they're filling every single role individually, but has collapsed them all together and is completely unaware that they've done so. So they're jumping from role to role to role to role to role and maybe only spending a few hours in each one, but each one, you know, three hours, 10 roles, that adds up really fast. 
But the real problematic nature is that what tends to happen is the roles that are the highest value, usually at the top of the org chart, are the most neglected. And so people spend more time in those technician-based roles, mm, those doing-based yeah. roles, than the business itself roles. I, I, I believe it's because we are, you know, these are my crazy thoughts, that we are much more conditioned in this uh, society to be, to be employees. Yes. Our whole life, I believe, we've been trained to think, act, and be uh, an employee. And so we become the employee in our own freaking business. Mm -hmm. And so what, what a lot of people are doing is when they show up as an employee in their own business, they believe that the way to make more money is to work longer because that's what you would do if you work for somebody else. Mm -hmm. Hey, you're going to pay me hourly and I want to make more money. I'll work more hours. I'll work weekends. I'll take the night shift. I'll work overtime. And we do that in our own freaking business. And the problem with that is it doesn't matter how long or how hard you work in your own business. If you're spending all your time in the low value bottom of the org chart roles, you've provided the least amount of uh, value to the business. That's so good. And if, if, if those roles are not revenue generating activities, how are you ever expected to make money? That's why we say the role you fill determines the results you receive. So what a lot of people are doing instead is they call themselves an entrepreneur and they believe that their focus is to work harder to make more money. And and then some of them just work, work focus on just trying to make money any way that they can. Maybe someone says, hey, will you do this thing? I'll pay you this. Okay, yes. And they just say yes to any time someone will give them money. But what I figured out a long time ago, and I know it's so simple, but we're not always thinking this way, is that I don't focus on making money in the business. I always focus on making a machine. Yes. And that yes. machine is something yes. that makes money. Mm -hmm. And that we can use synonymously with that bridge analogy. It's like each bridge is getting you from where you are to where you want to be. And a completed bridge is a completed machine. And so today we have multiple completed, and I can go into detail if you'd like, um, machines. And yes, now we've, we've built out an entire Airbnb business. We have four properties. That's awesome. Each one of those is a separate machine. And when people come to me and they say, like, I've just been working so hard in my business, the first thing I ask is, what are we working towards? Because I like working less. I'm not a lazy person, but I don't want to just be, you know, trading time for dollars and I have to work, you know, 12 hours a day just to get paid. But I'm willing to put in whatever work it takes to get the machine run, yeah. to build the machine and get it up there. But if I'm not building that, that end vision, that end game. And I'm just, you know, like if I stop, the business stops, then I'm doing something wrong. So I, I hope this is all. Oh, we're sense. getting into gold with what you said. Like Brandon, you originally said, David, how does this board thing play into your business? Right? So yeah. uh, James, you made a one point where we tend to gravitate to the roles that we like without recognizing that you've signed up for several roles. That makes me think of the person who, mm -hmm has a kid and they love being a parent when they get to dress their kid up in cute Halloween costumes and show it on Instagram. They like that, but they don't want to have to yes. deal with the day-to-day -day crap that comes with being a parent, right? 
In in my world yeah. as a real estate agent, this is the person I hire that loves making people happy. They love to give you your keys on closing day and drop off the gift and they get to be a part of this whole thing. But when I'm like, look, now you got to go lead generate. You got to go take that energy and you got to go talk to more people about real estate. Oh, I don't really like that. So what happens is they right. show up for me if I do the hard part and they get to go have fun, but they don't show up when they have to do the rest of it, which is that sort of problem you're just, you're describing in business where we like to do the things that are fun, that energize us, and we just kind of stay away from the rest. But you signed up for all of it when you became a business owner. Exactly. Exactly. But I'm just not passionate about those things, David. (laughs) It's like your business doesn't care. It has has needs, just like kids have needs. And you're either fulfilling on the needs of the business or you're not. So people... I'm all about goal setting, personal growth. You know, I love all that. And, And a lot of people, it's really interesting. They don't like goal setting. I've had a lot of people say, oh, I don't do goals. Well, why not? Like, I, I just get all wonky and I, weird. And when you dig in, it's because they don't like that feeling that comes with, for most people, not hitting your goals, which is the yeah. feeling of disappointment. Yeah. Uh, disappointment leads to failure, the identity of I am a failure, of giving up. What's the use? What's the point? And there's a lot that needs to be rewired there because I, I'm all about living your life with intent. Mm-hmm. Where are you going? You don't get to an airport and they're like, where, 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 where to, sir? Oh, I don't know. Surprise me. I don't really like setting destinations in my life. No, you'd say where you're going and then you end up there. And I think life is the same way. So most people don't have goals, right? But then you have the like personal development, entrepreneur, all about vision boards and all that stuff. And they have goals. You say, what do you want? And they'll tell you what they want. But I think there's another level to this, which is what I really got obsessed about, which is once you say, this is what I want, this is the goal I have, this is what I want, you have to be willing to ask another question that most people have never thought of asking. This thing that I want, what does it want from me? Mm. Or rather, what does it need from me? You know, you've heard those things like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. I believe every goal that we have, every wish, desire, outcome that we want but don't currently have exists outside the box uh, or normal paradigm of how we think, act, operate in the world, which means it will require a new and different version of you. People don't think that way. They just say, well, you know, I think if I just work a little harder or hustle a little more, push a little more, I'll get this new goal or outcome. And instead, a different way of it is saying, now that I'm clear on this outcome, what does it need from me? Who do I need to be? How do I need to show up differently? What do I need to let go of? What new actions, habits, um, traits do I need to possess to make this happen? And that, to me, this is a reverse engineering way of looking at the at the outcome. Um, That this is so simple, but I've been doing this for years. And we had a crazy goal. Our our business was at um, three million in revenue back two or three years ago, and we had a crazy goal. We wanted we wanted to go to ten. No reason other than like, hey, why not? We can say we're at eight figures and all that nonsense. So I started every single day and I, I said, what is, you know, what does a $10 million a year business look like? What does it need from me? What does the $10 million a year CEO do? How does he act? How does he make decisions? And I think one of the most valuable questions I kept asking myself, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of questions that you ask, is where would my value be best placed as a $10 million a year CEO? What is the value of a $10 million an hour, uh, a year CEO? And when I share stories like this and people try this on in their own business, 
they come back and they're like, you know, that's really hard because I keep asking these questions and I don't know the answer. Obviously, how would I know the answer? And, you know, the first thing is um, there's this notion that your subconscious mind has to answer any question that you ask it. And um, the problem is, is that people don't like not knowing the answer to, to questions. So when it's met with an I don't know, we tend to shut down a new, a new way of thinking. I don't know. I, therefore, I can't. Usually that's how it goes. It's like, how could I do this? I don't know. Therefore, it's not possible. Therefore, I can't. And if you're willing to have the courage to sit in a question, get curious, and be okay not knowing the answer, which is what I, which, what I did, you'll notice little by little, answers start coming. And I obsessed over that question, a series of questions for an entire year. Little by little, I started noticing things. The team would come to me with a big decision and say, well, how would a $10 million a year company decide? What would they do? And we'd start to you know, crowdsource the answer and say, well, I think they'd do it more like this and da-da-da-da-da. So we started aligning our actions, our decisions, more with the company we were becoming versus who we'd been. And one of the things I noticed was my entire value as the CEO, the owner of the company completely shifted, which means the role shifted. The value and the role go together. The, the role that you fill in your company is what you are responsible for in terms of value to the company. So that role shifted and it completely transcended, if you will, went higher. And the number one answer I got and the number one place I spent time in the business was I became more of the mentor and coach to my team. Yeah. And what we tend to notice as entrepreneurs, that's why I call the, the death of the entrepreneur, is that we have so much ego and identity wrapped into that, that it, we have these things like, if you want it done right, you got to do it yourself. Or because you need to prove it to dad or something, that your ego really flares up if you try to give it to somebody else. No one can do this as well as I can. No one can write copy like me and my voice and blah, 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 blah. And that's so uh, nonsense and so much arrogance that we don't recognize as ego. And I started to tell myself the true mark of mastery is if I can train somebody to do it as well or better than me. Mm. And that's where my time went. I obsessed with investing back in my team, training them, coaching them, and getting them to be even better A players than they already were. And what that allowed me is I actually got to spend less time. An hour training somebody to be a better copywriter so that I don't have to write copy is the best use of my time. And I get a ton of my time back. And uh, sure enough, massive breakthroughs in the company. And we, we didn't hit 10 million that year. We went from three to 9.4 million, which I'll take that. I'm pretty happy with that. And it was because that became my guiding, guiding question for the entire year. There's so much to unpack there, but just to relate a little bit back to our listeners who might be thinking, how do I apply this to my real estate? Um, you mentioned earlier the org chart. I'll pull out a few things you said. One, the org chart. Yeah. Like, I'm the same way. If I sit with a real estate investor in about a, a couple of minutes, I can get there. Oh, this is the org chart of a real estate business. Like it's pretty simple. There's like a, somebody in charge of finding property, yeah. somebody in charge of ra maybe raising money or going to banks. There's, there's these roles. Now, maybe they're all you at the beginning. Nothing wrong with that. But when I started thinking this way is, is I had a... I had a gentleman, and I've said this on the podcast before, but I had a gentleman who was a, who was like basically the chairman of the board of all bigger pockets. And he said to me, 
when we were explaining all the things we had at Bigger Pockets, the b- digital business, right, that I'm a part of here, when all the things we had, this is how many developers we have, this is how many this, this, and he holds up his hand. He's like, stop telling me what you have and what you can do with it. Tell me where you want to go and what resources resources you need to get there. And that my, that concept just blew my mind. And so I applied that the same thing that day to my real estate business. I said, okay, what's possible? Well, owning $50 million of real estate. Okay, that's my vision. That's where I'm headed. And I had a goal for it. What What are the roles needed? I defined like the five people I'd have to have in my in my life to be able to run that. I then went and found those five people. And again, they could just be all you. If you're listening right now in the beginning, that might just be you. Or maybe they're partners or maybe they're third parties or whatever. But found the five people. And then it, in other words, I built the machine. It, that transformed me out of I'm buying real estate to I'm building a machine. If there's, if there's one yes. thing people take from this episode, I hope it's that. It's like we are not buying real estate. We're not building an online business. We are building a machine that then therefore does those things. Yes. And, and I just a double scoop on what you said. I really hope people don't say, well, it is just me. So there's only one role. Yeah. No, there are the amount of roles that exist. Let's say five. Yep. And you're either in all five of them or someone else is, or they're being completely neglected. But how many team members you have is irrelevant to how many roles exist within your company right now because those functions exist whether you have you or a thousand other people working for you or not. Yeah, that's really good. I actually know a guy who, it was kind of a joke, but he actually did, did it. He made a bunch of hats that he would like baseball caps with different names of each role. And he would put them on when he was doing that role as if like kind of a visual reminder. I'm sure he didn't do it for long, but it was a visual reminder to himself that like, I am not a, like I am, am playing a role in this moment. And at some point I will yeah. not be playing that role anymore. Somebody else will be playing that role. And yeah. Man, and also, I I love, like, that was so convicting when you said, like, the true mark of mastery is whether I can train someone else to do it better than myself. That's so good. Like, that applies to so many things in my life. Like I said, I love um, I love coaching, and that was where the biggest bottleneck was. So my, enti- my entire online business is, is information, education, it's coaching. Yeah. And, you know, people will come to me, and they're like, oh, James, is, and I'm not saying this to brag or anything, like, oh, James is such a great coach, da 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 and I'm noticing, being a business owner, that this will be the biggest bottleneck. Yeah. Because there's only so much of me to go around. And do I really want to build a business where it's, well, I just get in line. I got to get to the front of the line so I can be coached by James and all that. And um, it's like, I, I can't. You know, when we have thousands of customers go, go through our program every year, I'm yeah. like, what, what am I going to do? Do you book thousands of hours individually with people? So I said, I have to be able to find a way to unbottleneck this. And what helps, and similar to the question that you just brought up, is I operate from a, call me, you know, people call me uh, overly optimistic, you know, Pollyanna, rose-colored glasses all the time. And I I think it's the biggest compliment. Thank you. Um, Because where I operate from is that there's always a way. For every problem, the solution comes right along with it. You know, anything is possible 100% of the time. It's just up to us to find the way. So I looked at that as that's the opportunity for the next breakthrough. I'm the bottleneck right now. Me having this specialty of being the coach, that is the bottleneck. And how can I figure this out? And I went to work and I developed a coaching methodology. And that took a lot of time. Yeah. And I think that goes back to that's one of the highest values in this business that I could place my time and attention. Because when I finished that coaching methodology, it was December of 
I want to say 2017 or 2018. And I brought in like five or six coaches, people that wanted to work with me. And we sat down for two days in an office building in Newport Beach. It was raining. And for two days, we stayed in that room. And I taught them that entire methodology and spent two days practicing it with them. And every single one of those people, those coaches are still with me today. We've now brought on a team of over 30 coaches. I have, it's created offers and opportunities where we actually have opportunities where people can hire a coach, work one-on-one. We actually, here's a great example. Inside my program, I do live training calls. And then in between my live training calls, we have office hours. And we have three different sets of live office hours with a coach every single week. So any one of our members, need clients need support, they can hop on one of these calls and my coaches are there to coach them through our methodology and support them every step of the way. And the joke today is, and it's funny because there's a lot of truth to it, is a lot of our members like our coaches better than they like me. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I don't, you know, if, if that bothered me, that would just be ego. It's like they're getting help. They're getting support. So why does it need to be from me? Why does it need to be my credit or anything like that? But it's allowed me to remove myself more. But more importantly, it has scaled support. It has scaled the unscalable. It has scaled coaching and community. And that, that just provides more value to our, to our members. You mentioned earlier you only launched the business, you know, I'm assuming like the, the, whatever the largest one is, is that business by design yeah, once, once a year. year. Can you explain that? That, that seems crazy to, I'm sure people listen. Yeah. Why would you it's, not launch it? Why launch it at all? Why not just have it open 24 seven? So exactly. Um, this was the, the only thing I would not, why I wouldn't recommend doing this is if, if you ever took a college class where day one and you come into the class and the professor tells you your entire grade comes down to one paper or one test. Yeah. I canceled those classes because that was too much pressure. <laughs> and that's what it does feel like. So it yeah. does take a mental, emotional toughness that I have today because of the experience of 14 years of doing this. And I also will say that even though we have a, you know, a $6 million launch or so once a year, I still don't want it to be the 90% of our revenue stream. Yeah. Uh, it's roughly about 50% of our total revenue. So it, it, it's not a do or die thing. So here's, here's how this works. And we tested this. It was really interesting. We're going to invent a concept called an Energon cube. An Energon cube is like how I would me- measure effort or output. It's like time and energy. So when we would do a launch, we used to do two launches. And if I did two launches in one year, it, um, it took the same amount of Energon cubes. So we'll just say 10 Energon cubes for each launch. So it takes time. It takes effort and energy and, and output. You're tired after it. There's, there's a time needed to recharge and recoup. So we did two launches one year, and each launch did about $2 million. So it's $4 million in revenue, but that's the input or, or what we got out of it, I guess. So let's call it that the output. We, what we outputted was $4 million in revenue. But the input into the machine required 20 Energon cubes. And uh, so we kind of have this 20, 20 Energon cubes gets us 4 million, right? The next year, which was me just being a little crazy, I said, let's do one. And interestingly enough, doing one is going to be half the amount of effort and energy, yeah. 10 Energon cubes. But because we were able to spend more focused effort just on making that better, 
So we could make an argument to say, okay, 12 Energon cubes, a little bit more effort. We actually did 4.9 million in one, with one launch. And then what we realized is we had an entire 90-day quarter and all these extra Energon cubes freed up to add a new and different revenue stream to the business. So that was the first initial thinking behind that. How, was, how were we able to double the launch by doing half? A few reasons. It's a cumulative effect. Number one, we had more ad budget to going towards one launch. So instead of sparsing it out into two launches, we took that entire ad budget and put it into one. Uh, number two, we, we had affiliates come on board. And by having affiliates, we could have more people, more affiliates support us. Um, and then on top of that, I was putting more effort and energy on the things, and this is a different topic, but the things that are the real launch performance drivers, the 5% activities that really yeah. increase performance. So I was able to focus more my energy. And so our philosophy today in the company is very simple. It's do less, do it better. And I believe that it, those aren't separate statements. Those are correlated. That doing less allows you to do what you do choose to do, allows you to do it better. Because you're not tired. You're not spread too thin. You're not building 10 bridges at once. And um, as soon as we saw those results, you know, we said, we're, we're never going to go back. Yeah, there's other psychological elements as well. When we close down the doors, and I think if anyone out there does have digital products, is one of the first things I say is if, if it's just sitting there on your website and someone could buy it 24-7, the amount of money that you're leaving on the table is crazy. Because I don't know about you guys, but my guilty pleasure is like buying stuff on Amazon. Yeah. And I have, a, I have a wish list of stuff that I'm, I've said yes to, but you know, one day, someday. One day, someday never comes. So there's like a wish list of just like 100 items. But something happens when there is a deadline. Yes. A deadline like doors are closing, enrollment ends tonight. What that does is creates an environment for your prospect to make a decision. The brain burns more calories than any other organ in the body. We want to preserve those calories. So we don't like thinking. We don't like making decisions. And if it's not urgent, if we haven't marked it as urgent, then we will put it off. Yep. So we've all had that experience where we see, oh, I like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I need to get that. But we don't want to make the decision to do it right now. So we say, okay, yeah, I'll do that later. So when you create that deadline, when you say, you know what, doors are closing tonight, that marks it in the brain as, oh, this is important. I have to make a decision right now. Yeah. And this, we, we love that because a lot of the times the reason people haven't started their business or they're in the problem that they're in, they're struggling the way they are is because they've been doing that in their life. They've been deciding to not make a decision about solving the problem that they've been in because it's not bad enough. It's not you know, painful enough. And the deadline creates that. So people say, uh, we say, hey, doors are closing down tonight at midnight, and people will ask us that question. When do they open back up? A year from now. Yeah. You know, and when that's your answer, yep. the new question that people have to ask is, do I want to wait a year to join? But if I said, oh, no, we'll be back open next week. Oh, okay, I'll join then. Yep. Sure yep. you will, right? So there were a lot of benefits to it. You know, I got to save my team's energy, working less, and yep. um, definitely had a cumulative effect. Yeah. 
Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Want to dive deep into commercial real estate, entrepreneurship, leadership, and the economy? Tune into the Walker webcast hosted by the CEO of Walker & Dunlop, one of the largest commercial real estate finance and advisory services firms in the nation. As an unparalleled leader in commercial real estate, CEO Willie Walker frequently appears as an expert on major platforms like CNBC and the New York Times. He's even been on the Bigger Pockets podcast network too. On the Walker webcast, you'll hear from guests like A-Rod, renowned economist Dr. Peter Linneman, and experts from Walker and Dunlop's capital markets, research, and investment sales groups. So fire up the Walker webcast on your favorite podcast app or join live on Wednesdays to see Willie interact with his guests. Plus, you can always catch the replay on demand afterward. Stay ahead of the curve with insights for life from the Walker webcast. Learn more and subscribe to the Walker webcast at walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. And be sure to follow Walker and Dunlop on all your favorite social media channels too. That's walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. Take a second and imagine this immediate cash flow, above average rent, built-in equity, and a foolproof exit plan. No, it's not 2012 again. This is just what it's like to invest with Integra Development Group. They've simplified the real estate investing process so everyone can invest. With their new construction single-family rent-to-own homes, you'll get aggressively priced brand new properties that have tenants in place now in one of the fastest-growing states in America, Florida. Here's how IDG's rent-to-own strategy works. You get exclusive access to inventory with aggressive pricing thanks to IDG's builder-partner relationships. Then, invest and collect immediate cash flow with tenants already in place at or very close to closing. With the demand for new builds, your tenants pay above market rent, so you rake in more cash flow. And you'll get built-in equity and appreciation with an already agreed-to purchase price at year three, helping the tenants become homeowners while you build wealth. That's investing simplified. So secure your next investment property today with Integra Development Group at IntegraDG.com. That's IntegraDG.com to start investing today. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers a targeted 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of net profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, are first in line to get paid. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of a physical asset mitigate downside risk. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, 
You contribute to the revitalization of communities by directing your funds from Wall Street to Main Street and supporting local economies. The investment is reserved for accredited investors. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com BP. pinefinancialgroup.com BP. You know, one way this translates to real estate, I'll throw out there, this is maybe like a higher level real estate thing, but it also applies to the smaller deals. But so we had this big apartment complex we wanted to buy down in Houston. I mean, we're going to buy down in Houston and we had to raise like I'm partnering with an I'm basically JVing with another uh, real estate team out there called Disrupt Equity. So anyway, we're on this one. We're partnering. We had to raise 13 million ourselves and they were going to raise like, I don't know, 10 million uh, from investors. And normally when we raise money, we kind of have an open fund. People just give us money and then we keep it open for months, maybe at a time until we're ready to close it. And then we go on to a new deal. It's kind of like a private equity, I guess, feel. Uh, this one, we had an, a specific deal with a specific timeline that we had to raise the money for. And so we raised more money in six days than I had raised in the past year and a half in one shot because we had, it was like, Hey, this closes Friday. We've got six days to raise the money. We're going to do it. And we raised not 13 million. We raised $22 million in six days. And we have 250 people on our waiting list after that, that didn't get in, uh, which is potentially another $20 million that didn't get in that wanted to get in because it was a specific time frame. So even if you're working on your yes. first deal, you're trying to get something that having a deadline and not manufactured. The great thing about real estate is there are real deadlines. Like there are real urgency. Like this deal has to close on this date. Utilize that to your, to your needs. It works. I think that's a universal principle that you could apply even with your team, you know, giving them deadlines, yep. uh, doing these Airbnbs, yeah. the adventures and contractors and handymen. <laughs> Um, and one of the best things I did was because I, I just noticed like performance would just drop. Always. And it was, you know, we're out here in Sedona, Arizona. And one of the nicknames we have for it is Slow Dona. And um, it's pretty accurate. But <laughs> when we do things like have deadlines and, and penalties yep. for, you know, that they agree to for how late they are on a project, you'll be amazed and how fast people get their butt into gear. So yeah, when you don't, and, we, and when you don't pay the contractor until the job is done, it just, it's amazing how much faster they get it done on time. It's yeah. I, I got this contract right now. We pay them by the hour. We paid them by the hour, which I generally hate doing, but it was one of those things I did it. And sure enough that the first week of that project went so well and so fast. The second week, half as much got done. The third week, Half again as much yeah. got done. Now here I'm five weeks into the thing and the guy shows up for a few minutes here and there. And I'm like, I can't get him to show up because there's no car carrot at the end. There's no deadline for him. Uh, and yeah. it's just frustrating. Yeah. Deadlines, they work. It is so frustrating. <laughs> you guys, I the last year, the amount of, oh my goodness. I've had crazy, crazy. I had a guy um, basically embezzled $18,000 oh, from me. I, I mean, the amount of stuff. I had yeah. the cops called on us one time. Oh. Um, the, the guy called the cops on the other guy. They were getting in a fight. I mean, the, the craziest stuff that has happened. Um, but I laugh at all of it. You, you learn a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know what? One of the reasons that Brandon and I are so passionate about this type of content is because there's this huge disconnect from people that are quote unquote on the bottom trying to get to the top who feel like there's no opportunity. Nobody is going to give me a shot. Every, the CEOs of the world are these rich, money hungry people that don't want to share any of their wealth and the little guy can't get ahead. Then you talk to the CEOs and they're like, I'm desperate for anybody that gives a crap that will just show up <laughs> yeah. and try hard. And we're like, we're showing you guys the map. Here's the roadmap. James yeah. needs people that can do mm -hmm. these things. And then we're saying, here's what stops people from actually getting the most out of themselves, right? Like, I really feel like in business, 95% of what I'm doing 
I thought it was just building systems. Man, that part came so easy. It's fighting with the worst parts of human mm. nature that stop mm. people from showing up yes. and giving their best and realizing their potential. Yeah. Um, we're also a little side, uh, fun fact note, um, building a camper van oh, in, nice. my, in my spare time. And what a, what a blast that's been. I mean, you're, you're building an entire home mm -hmm. in a moving vehicle. And, um, you know, I have two handymen that are, that are helping me. And if I'm not on them on the bet and like, I don't know nearly as much about any phase of construction than they do, but it's very interesting that I've been able to bring a level of like, uh, efficiency and productivity yeah. that was like massively missing. Like even today is a great example. They're working on the ceiling and each section of the ceiling they were doing differently. So they cut one piece, sand, paint, install next piece, cut sand, paint, install. I'm like, guys, that's the least efficient way to do it. We, we need to make an assembly line here. We cut all the pieces, we sand all the pieces, we paint all the pieces and we install them together. And all of a sudden it's going twice as fast. And yeah, even when you have a skilled person to like, you know, have that level, it's, it's challenging. It's, it's because most skilled people are not business owners. And this is what, what I find fascinating right. in the last few years is when you get good at business in any business, you're good at nearly all business. You know what I mean? Like, you know, those yes. skills and they translate yeah. so well. So I feel like the things I, so yeah, the things I know in real estate now, I go build an online. I mean, I do. I actually, I would say it's the other way around. I got good at online business, especially following people like you for years. So I got good at this, the webinars and the, the, the deadlines and all that. Mm -hmm. And then I just applied it to real estate. I don't know why it took me a decade to apply it to real estate. And all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, this works over here too. And so that's why David yeah. and I spend so much time on this podcast teaching like this higher level stuff. Cause I wish somebody would have sat me down when I was 20 and been like, it's not about how to paint a wall or put in a toilet. Like that's such mm. a lower level job. You need to work on this level, yeah. read these books, listen to these podcasts. And that's going to help you get to that level in anything you do in life. James made you a really good point about this, I call it the W-2 mindset, but it just comes from every job you've had in your past. You work for somebody else. You didn't have to care about how the business performed. Mm -hmm. You literally just had to care about showing up on time and being there and not getting fired. So what happens is our mind understands incentive structure and it organizes itself around, I can only be late so often, otherwise I'll lose my job. And I can't leave early, otherwise I won't get paid. And I have to do the minimum effort necessary to be able to keep my job. And then we just fall into this rut and that's what we do. And we don't even realize that that happened, okay? Like I, I got into that Reddit many times. And then you become a business owner and none of that works because now the business will die if you bring that approach. I would would like if you could just comment a little on what you've learned about how people have to shake themselves out of these bad habits that they don't even know they have. I think there's there's a very simple and and hopefully people have done this here practice that you can you can start doing. It's very simple, but it seems very boring. It's very similar to the gentleman you shared who's putting on and taking off hats because what it really is is a practice in awareness and presence to where your time, effort, and energy is going. We are so much on autopilot. We are so half asleep, thinking the same thoughts, making the same decisions, the same default way that we did things yesterday, the day before, and you're probably going to do it tomorrow. And so what I started doing, and obviously I'll skip over the aspect of having clear goals, knowing your outcomes. And it's not just enough when I say have a goal uh, to just have like a financial number on a vision board and say, that's my goal. Every 90 days in our business, we have a revenue generating activity that we hit, a revenue outcome. 
but we don't just leave it there like $100,000. Where is that $100,000 coming from? What offer, product, et cetera, are we selling? And what is the strategy that we're deploying to get us there? Okay, that's always in place as like a baseline structure. So then what you can begin to do, as boring as this is, and because it's ugh, not passionate or exciting, people, a lot of people don't do this, but to, to actually have a journal or activity log and write down everything that you're doing yeah. uh, is so simple, but we want to go a little further. I like to say, identify how, how long you spent there. You know, how many hours, what, what was the task? How many hours? And then as to the best of your ability, you want to see if you can identify what dollar value did this task bring to the business? You can create a very general rule of thumb. Like, is this a $10 an hour activity? Is this a hundred dollars? Is this a thousand dollars? Is this a $10,000 an hour activity? And if you did this for even just a week or two, Things become very simple because I'm, I, I started doing this. Um, I've been doing this for 14 years. I spent a lot of years struggling, trying to figure it out. I had to move back in with my mom and dad. I wasn't making any money. They were buying me groceries and food and feeding me. But even back then, I knew a very simple thing, which is if you really want this to work, I can't do this myself. So I hired my first virtual assistant from the Philippines. Mm, yep. I went to a site called onlinejobs.ph. That's that where I get all mine. That's I mean, I they're, yeah. they're amazing. Um, yeah. I still it. have my very first assistant, $70 a week for full-time work. We pay him considerably more now. He's like our top VA. He helps us. We, we employ half his family. Like We paid for their wedding and, and bought them laptops and resources and whatever they need. And now he's been with me for all these years. But even back then... I was like, I know I need to let go and delegate and outsource. So people say, what do I outsource? What do I delegate? How do I know what to get off my plate? And the answer is, is it's the most repetitive tasks Mm -hmm. that you're spending the most amount of time on that have the least amount of value to the business. And if you just started there, it would make such a difference. If you got an hour a day back, two, three hours a day, that makes such a difference. Now, the trick is, is when you do that, life doesn't like uh, a vacuum. It doesn't like a void. It needs to fill it. And people get really uncomfortable, especially entrepreneurs that have been addicted to busyness, Mm -hmm. get very uncomfortable in stillness, in the not doing. So you got to be intentional about filling it. Now, what really starts to happen is a lot of people, and this was me, and it's a lot of people is there's a level of seriousness that's missing in their business when they're starting out. It's like, ah, it's, it's what I call conditional commitment. They're dabbling. It's kind of a hobby. It's not really serious. And something really interesting happens with a lot of people when they do hire that first virtual assistant, they start paying for a team member. They start going, this is legit. This is real. This is happening. And it can actually give you the opportunity to force you to say, so I have to, spend my time and energy on the revenue generating activities. I have to put more, more of my time effort here. So we call it the 5%. We say that 5% of all the activities in your business are directly responsible for 95% of the um, results that you want. It's the Pareto principle on steroids. And so 
The discipline is about if you can get those things off your plate, and then as simple as this is, at the beginning of each week, you're identifying two, three, up to five of the highest value activities that you're going to get accomplished that week. And that's where your Monday mornings, Tuesday mornings, you know, first thing in the morning, that's where your time and effort goes. And what I noticed is when we started teaching that, as simple as the structure is, I want to keep things simple. A lot of people say, oh, simple doesn't mean valuable. I need it to be complicated and confusing. No, keep it simple because you do what's simple, right? What I started noticing is that the brain will, uh, I don't know if it's the ego, but our we'll try to get ourselves, we'll try to trick ourselves. And I've noticed this, but if you're not careful, your ego will like outsmart you. So let's see, the best way I could describe this is people will say they're going to do something like they'll identify their um, target tasks or outcomes or what they're going to accomplish for the week. And it's very vague. It's very confusing. It's very nebulous in a way that you don't know if you did it or didn't do it. Like I'm going to prospect more. Or I'm going to work on my lead magnet. Or I'm going to work on this. Or I'm going to do more of this or do less of that. It's very general. And it's very like, you don't know if you did or you didn't. So we came up with a very simple concept is binary action. It's when you start that week and you decide, I'm doing this. It's, it should be so clear that you know at the end of the week, one or zero. I did it or I didn't. I'm going to call five prospects or I'm going to post three times on social media. You either did it yeah. or you didn't. And, you know, I've, I've really obsessed in a lot of ways about performance, team performance over the years. I love to brag about my team. I say my team can run circles around other teams. If there were a team Olympics, my team would win. And at that foundation, which if someone said, James, what's like the, the 95.5 of, of performance, it comes in the most unlikely of places. And that's the concept of integrity. Integrity is actually our number one core value in our company. It's the thing that we focus on the most. I've done entire full day workshop training my team and clients just on integrity. And integrity is not a conversation around morality or ethics. That's a separate. Integrity is simply being your word, doing what you say, and honoring your word when you can't do what you say. And it is unbelievable what transforms in your life when you are operating in more integrity. When you speak your future into existence now and then follow that up with action. Well, what people notice when they're not doing that, when they're out of integrity, even little things. And this is a holistic view of your life because, you know, you have friends that you say you'll call tomorrow or, yeah, let's, let's meet up. Let's do lunch or You say, let's be there at 12, and you're there at 1230, right? And all these little areas in your life where you're giving your word to something, but you don't follow through on it, people aren't able to accurately uh, correlate it back to the cause, but they begin to sense or feel a sense of a loss of power in their life. They feel less confident, less certain about themselves, and they rarely ever pinpoint it back to, wow, I'm completely out of integrity. Yeah. I completely overpromise and underdeliver to the people I care about in my life, most of all myself. I'm going to work out yes. today. Oh, you know what? I've been, I don't want to overtrain. You know, I don't want to work out too much, so I'm going to take the day off. We talk ourselves off and out of, uh, uh, of our actions and our words all the time. And here's where it gets really tricky. The reason I can talk about integrity all day is because integri- integrity 
the integrity distinction veils itself in our life because the ego doesn't want you to look wrong, look bad or be wrong. So most of the times that you're out of integrity, you don't see it as an out of integrityness. You see it as a reason or a justification. There was a reason why you were late. There was a reason why you didn't call that person back. There was a reason why you didn't prospect. There was a reason why you didn't go to the gym. And we focus on the reasons. And they are amazing reasons. They are so justified and logical and wonderful. And we're off the hook. Yep. When in reality, it's not about blaming, shaming, beating yourself up. It's just saying, wow, I gave my word to this. I said I was going to do it and I didn't. You restore that integrity, you begin to get that power back. And it's very simple. This is so simple. But I, what I'm saying here is that the biggest causation that I've seen, the biggest you know, 80-20 of performance comes down to integrity. To the degree in which you can say, if there is no integrity, self-integrity, if your team doesn't have integrity, but you somehow want to increase performance, efficiency, and productivity in your business, this is not going to happen. It is, a, it is not a guarantee, it is a, but it is a prerequisite. And um, it's just, it's some, things like this are so simple, but this isn't about learning new things. I, I think when I talk about coaching and getting into coaching with people, I say, as a coach, I'm not here to teach you anything new. It's time to apply what you know. And there's a big gap missing in a lot of people. And like David was kind of bringing up about when people say like, what about the little guy? What about the little guy? A lot of times is we're not applying what those CEOs did in their life. We're not applying integrity. We're not applying commitment and discipline and doing those uncomfortable things. And when you apply those simple concepts, that's when things begin to change. That's so good, man. Yeah. You know, I, I, we talk a lot about here on the show, this idea of like your identity and I've brought it up a few times today. And this is what I'm referring to is when you have that, when you tell yourself you're going to wake up at 6am and you hit the snooze button 40 times and you don't get up until seven, you are reinforcing identity that you are a liar to yourself. Like you're telling yeah. yourself I'm yeah. a liar. And then the more you reinforce that identity, like forget about other people. You might be great with other people. I'm a high eye on the disc profile. I want people to like me. So I will do whatever I say generally to other people to myself though. Oh, it's hard. Like I'm a liar to myself. And the more I know that, the more I become that and it just reinforced that identity. Yeah. It's dangerous. I, I think it's, I think it's even more than that, Brandon. It's, I believe when you open your mouth and whatever comes out, I believe that's the tool that we create our whole world with. If we are the author of our story, this is how we write it. And when you no longer believe it's powerful, mm. and when it comes to the things that do matter, you're, you're already have decided you don't believe in yourself. Yep. You, you've already decided my word's not really that powerful. goes back to the goal setting. When I intend or I say, we're going to do this this year, we're going to create this. But everywhere else in my life, I've been saying I'm going to do things and I don't. Well, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And I'm like, I'm, I'm full of it. I don't believe anything I say because I'm so out of integrity everywhere else. Yeah. How, do you, how do you get back into integrity? For those people who are saying, yeah, I've, mm. I've been a liar to myself and I've not held. Well, so that's, that is so beautiful. I had a client come to me. This is so simple. And she, she asked me the same question. And I said, well, what have you been in, out of integrity about? She goes, for the last three months, I've been saying um, I'm going to work out every day and I don't. And I said, well, for you, it was very simple. Uh, when I have a specific example, I said, um, you need to forgive yourself. Mm -hmm. This seems so simple. And oh boy, here comes James with his emotions. And stuff. <laughs> but I said, you need to forgive yourself. Um, because what she was doing is every day that she wasn't working out, she was taking that with her and she was mm -hmm. shaming herself. She's making herself feel like crap. She's taking that with her. Where is it? It's gone. It's not even here. It's in the past. 
So you're dealing with all this stuff from the past because it's a new day. And this is all you have right now in this moment. And so when you can find a way to let any lack of integrity go in your life and start today fresh, because now is all you have anyways, you know, it's going to be a lot easier. And she, that was in February and she just followed up with me last week. And she's like, I've been working out the three times a week. I said, I was gonna work out every single week since we had that conversation nonstop. Mm. Now, so that's like personal integrity. We get into, you know, self-integrity. We get into a lot of the shame. We beat ourselves up. But every day it's, it's a new day because the past only exists in our minds as memories and, and emotions. But here we are right now in this moment. Now, when it comes to integrity, this is very important that involves other people. And this is especially important if I'm talking to anybody that has a team because you have to demonstrate this type of leadership. And this is really one of the hardest things I had to learn was this level of leadership. If your word, if you've given your word and it, it involves others, you have to clean that up. And people are afraid to because the ego doesn't want to look bad or be wrong. I wasn't out of integrity. I was late because there was traffic. Yeah, but you said you'd be there at noon. It's 1230. Who did, did you communicate? Did you let people know? You have to communicate and clean it up with the affected parties. And I'm out of integrity all the time. And this is a really interesting thing. Just a little side note. A lot of people, when they hear this distinction, they think the goal is, well, I just won't give my word to anything anymore. That, that's, that's not it. If you're in integrity all the time, that once you're aware of this distinction, that's an indicator that you're not playing a big enough game because you should be out of integrity more often than not because you should be giving your word to new and big things that you don't know how long it's going to take. You don't know if you can do it. You don't know if you can do it in the time frame that you've given yourself, but you're restoring it. You're honoring your word. You're cleaning it up and you're cleaning it up with the parties involved. So to be able to reach out and say, say to the affected members and say, hey, I know I said I'd have it by this time, by this date, and I didn't. I apologize. Here's what happened. And whatever you need to do to be held accountable for it and then re-give your word to a new date and time. This is the most simple concept. But I harp on this so often because it's so powerful and profound. And the moment you have a team, you want them to, to be in integrity, right? You want your team to do what what they say they're going to do. Hey, can I get this? Can you get this report done to me by Friday? And they say, yes, that's what they've given their word to. You want them to get it done by Friday, right? Well, the big argument I make is that as a leader, as the CEO of the business, if you're expecting your team to have more integrity than you, it's not going to happen. First thing I say is, uh, especially if people are looking for a team and they say things like, uh, there's no great team members out there. Well, the, the stinging truth that I love to hit people with is that A players don't work for B leaders. Mm. An A player, a, a natural born leader as an employee, is looking to be led, guided, and taught. They want to be groomed. They want to be pushed. And they're interviewing you before you ever interview them. So if you expect them to have higher levels of self-integrity and integrity, be their word, and you yours is uh, non-existent, that's, that's not gonna, they're going to fall to your level. So that's just not going to work out very well. So you, that's what leading by example really truly is, is that you have to show what integrity looks like. You have to show your team what it looks like to honor your word, be your word, and to clean up your word when you're out of integrity. Dang. You know, this is really applicable to a lot of our listeners because I noticed Brandon and I, whoever will say, look, you got to take action. That's the right answer. We'll hit that home and then they won't take action for whatever reason. They will say, I'm going to take action. I commit to this. And then 
distractions, fear, insecurity, whatever it is, stops them from taking action. Okay. And at that point, they're out of integrity. But James, what I love about the point you made is it does not benefit you to shame yourself or beat yourself up for being out of integrity. You think that beating yourself up will cause you to like, all right, I'm going to get back in there tomorrow, but you don't. You'll just avoid it. It's not fun. You don't like the feeling. Then you get further out of integrity and eventually you just disappear from the entire community and you go try to find something that's easier that, you know, is probably also more risky, right? Like a lot of the people fall into cryptocurrency or Forex trading because real estate, they just couldn't make it work. And then they end up in a vulnerable position where they can lose money easier. The better response is to just say without shame, without judgment, without wagging the finger at yourself, hey, you didn't do what you said you're going to do. What do we have to change so that you can do it? And just be honest with yourself. Do I need to be in a better community? Do I need to listen to more podcasts to get myself excited? How do I find that fire? Uh, And I just want everyone who hears this to understand James is a very, very prominent top producing business person who understands human nature at a high level. That's why I like talking to you. And you're telling your own employees like being out of integrity is not good, but it's not something I'm going to sit here and like make you feel horrible about it. I'm not going to roast you like a drill sergeant in the military because you did something wrong. We're just going to talk about what do we have to do to get back in there? Yeah. And when it comes to my team, if they said they were going to do something, let's say by Friday at five, and then that didn't happen and they did they, you know, Friday at five comes and goes, we're going to have an important call and it's going to sting. But the conversation I'm going to have is not, has nothing to do with the fact that they didn't get it done by five. Because they could say, you know what, it took longer, da 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 da. The, the conversation we're going to have is when did you know you weren't going to have it by five mm. on Friday? Ooh, by, by Wednesday, I was getting a pretty good idea. This is going to take longer. And who did you tell? No one. I didn't say anything. That's the problem. That's exactly right. They're, That's so they're not in communication. Yep. They're not honoring their word. They're not calling me or whoever is their superior and saying, you know what, James, I know I said I have it by five and right now it's taking longer than I thought. Okay. That's no problem. Um, you, you know, can you do it by Monday, Tuesday, whatever? And then we we're back in integrity. It's just like, this is so simple. And, um, but it's such a powerful, you know, such a powerful distinction to live from. And there's a really crazy notion like, yeah, we can talk about the fears and all the reasons why we self-sabotage and don't take action all day long. But when it's, when you're able to overcome those fears and it's your, your life is built on a firm, firm foundation of integrity, that's a game changer. So what you should be more afraid of is being out of integrity. And there's one simple, uh, crazy visual to look at this is, um, which I remember hearing this years ago, is that one individual was so committed to living their life from a place of integrity that they actually imagined that every time that they were out of integrity, that they would lose a finger. (laughs) And it's such a, like an extreme kind of concept, but it's because the ego is really trying to downplay the importance of this. And if you're really sitting here and say, why is James talking about this for 15 minutes? It's because your brain, I have to counteract your brain saying this isn't that important or I've heard yeah. that before or, oh, that's a nice sentiment, you know, or it's an ideal. It's, it's a virtue to strive for. No, it is the fundamental prerequisite for any type of increase in performance. And if you're in business and you're not operating here, you may have been pointing at everything else as to why things aren't working. And it comes back to you and your word and what you give your word to. I love how this ties in. One thing I talk about a lot is how nobody wants to be a villain in their own story. 
Like nobody wants to be the bad yeah. guy, right? So our ego tells us no. And so then we have, you know, there's three characters in the story. There's the villain, there's the hero, and then there's the victim. And most people, they just, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the bad guy. I'm not the villain here. So I'm clearly the victim yeah. of something that happened yeah. to me. But like the easiest way to become the hero is simply get back into integrity. Like just do what you say you're going to do. And this is, that is so huge what you say, because if you transcended blame and fault in every area of your life, it would enrich your relationships. It would make you happier and things would work better. It's, it's, for me, I do not concern myself with, with blame or, or fault or shaming people or anything like that within the team, with personal relationships or anything. It comes down to what were the causes? How could this have been prevented? And what can we do differently? And there is a quote. So like I said, I got really passionate about team building. And we've built an unbelievable team. And um, it was one quote. One quote I read at the concierge desk at the Ritz-Carlton in Miami. I'm sorry, in Maui, not Miami, Maui oh, nice. uh, years ago. And it was sitting behind her while she was like, we were at the concierge. I was asking her a question. I just looked past her head and I see this quote. And it changed the entire fundamental structure of how I look at my business. It was as simple as this. When a flower does not bloom... It's not the flower's fault. You blame or you focus on the environment in which it grows. That was the most simple and profound quote for me. Because if you look at a flower, you look at a rose, any type of flower, its default uh, intention is to bloom. Mm -hmm. So if a flower doesn't bloom, it's not the flower's fault. It's the environment. Maybe it's not getting water. It's not the right soil, right nutrients, not enough sun, too much sun, whatever. But we just go, what's wrong with the flower? And we do this as humans. We judge so fast. And when we do that, we label and put someone to a fixed box and they can be no other way. Instead, it's about getting curious and getting curious about what caused this? What, what was the environment like that would have produced this type of scenario? And could anything be done differently here before we start judging and labeling people? And when you recognize that as a business owner, you're, the buck stops with you. You're responsible for the environment. You can create a different environment where people are more creative, more happy, more in integrity, and more able to bloom. And that's where a lot of my focus went. That's why I said my highest value went to coaching my team. When I started coaching them and teaching them, we attracted people that were more growth-oriented. We attracted people that were actually starting to grow getting more excited, more passionate about their roles. And um, when they saw I was investing in them, they saw that I cared. They, they cared about the vision. They cared about the business. And we attracted A players. And um, this is not how most entrepreneurs think um, because it's not the role of an entrepreneur. I mean, being a CEO, a leader, a high-level manager is a very different role than the label and identity we give ourselves as that entrepreneur. Man, that's so good. Man, I feel like we talk about this for hours and hours and hours, but we got to get you out of here soon. So let's move over to the last segment of the show, the part where we ask the same four questions every week to every guest. This is our famous four. Famous four. Here we go. Question number one. Is there a habit or trait that you're currently working on improving in your own life? Um, uh, always. Uh, my, my habits are around um, um, spirituality and mindfulness. So the more time I'm in silence throughout the day, the better. I try to live in a, um, in a, in a more meditative state. So mm. as much time throughout the day that I can find myself 
to be present, to be quiet, quiet the voice in my head. Um, my mentor told me, you know, years ago, and this was one of the most simple and powerful things, answers come in the silence. So how can we silence that mind? Next question. What is your favorite business book? Oh, Traction. Mm. Not my favorite. Best, best business, most transformative, most valuable business book I've ever read in my entire life. Gino Wickman. Traction. Traction. Gino Wickman. Yeah, I, I operate EOS. Like all my companies, I operate under EOS. It's just, just the, the, um, how we came up and utilize the core values. Yeah. That's what creates your environment. I mean, that was game changer having a weekly scorecard, but we've implemented all of it. And, um, it's probably like the most boring book to read, yeah. but it's the most valuable book I- I've ever implemented in my business career. All right. Next question. What are some of your favorite hobbies? Uh, favorite hobbies right now is van building. Yeah. Um, I'm loving any kind of handyman woodworking kind of thing. So this kind of, you know, I've been in living in Arizona. I'm, I'm a California native. I used to surf like twice a day, every day, just fell in love with Sedona. So now I'm in the middle of the desert. There's no beach. There's no, there's no surfing out here. So I traded it all in for, for camping, building a camper van and uh, mountain biking. That's great. Yeah. The camper van, the, the kind of hashtag van life thing on, on yeah. like, I love it. Yeah. I'm, I, I don't want to yeah. live full time. Yeah, no, no. like, let me get that straight. But no. like to go and, and do a camping trip, I'm so excited for it. Yeah. Every, every week or so I tell my wife, I'm, I'm buying one. I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy a van. I'm going to de- remodel it. And she's like, when have you, when's the last time you did anything <laughs> handy? Cause you're so busy. I'm like, I know, but I'm going to do this one. She's like, no, you're not. I'm like, you're right. And then I don't, but yeah, every week it comes yeah. back up anyway. All right. Uh, last question from me. What do you think ultimately separates? It's a big question. So I just want to see where you go with it. Mm -hmm. What do you ultimately think separates successful entrepreneurs and business owners from those who give up or they fail or they just plain never get started? I would say the biggest thing has to do with what's going on in between the ears. You know, I have a podcast, Mind Your Business. I think we're like 480 episodes or something. Yeah. And, you know, I look at the mind, I look at the mind, I look, I look at our brain, I look at our thinking, like thoughts can be like a huge uh, hornet's nest of knots. And we get so in our head and overthink and in our fears and worries and concerns and the what ifs and all that stuff. And it drives so much behavior. Fear is your worst advisor. And so much of the stinking thinking that they, as the kids say, uh, is these, these, what ifs, these, these unwanted futures, that's all fear is. It's, it's a unwanted future that you think is actually going to happen. What if, what if, what if they don't like it? What if it fails? What if I lose money? What if I waste time? All that type of stuff. And something I've been so grateful for is developing a level of mental mastery that allows me to move through fears, move through worries and concerns and create clarity of, intent of, of outcome of vision first in my mind so that I can create it in the world. And too many people are living up here way too much. Like just, just like the level, the the amount of beliefs that we work through with clients that aren't even fear-based. They're just like silly notions. Like for example, it's just an example of one. Uh, people say like, Oh, I'm not ready to launch my business because I don't have an email list yet. Uh, or my list is too small. So people are have all these silly beliefs about why they can't start, why why it's not ready, wh- why they can't make money, why they can't grow, all this type of stuff. And it's so many of these are just silly thoughts that we just decided to be true, and we don't question them, we don't think about them, we don't try on different perspectives. And um, I, I think 
to the degree in which you have that mes- mental mastery is the degree in which you can really accomplish anything mm. in life. Such a great answer. So good, man. Well, thank you. Uh, David, I'll let you kind of wrap things up with a final question. Last question of the day. James, where can people find out more about you? <laughs> I was like, wait, that's five questions. <laughs> <I know>. uh, <laughs> it's famous for and then the last question. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. I love it. Um, yeah, so my podcast is the Mind Your Business Podcast. Like I said, we're almost at 500 episodes. I've been doing this this podcast since 2016. It's weekly. My musings of you know my own thoughts about the inner game and inner struggles of entrepreneurship, overcoming imposter syndrome, and you know all those things that really really stop us. There's I'm very passionate about bringing a spiritual approach to my business. It's very interesting. I'm very left brain strategic, but I have a very uh, right brain creative um, spiritual aspect that I've brought in. And it was like when I combined both of those was when I began to see a lot, a lot more success. So I really love to bring both of those to um, my audience on the show. Awesome, man. You can find that on iTunes or wherever you find podcasts, mind your business podcast. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been phenomenal, even better than I could have hoped. And uh, I had high hopes. So yeah, you exceeded everything. So thank you, James. You're just saying that. No, man, this is amazing. This is so good. Well, thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. David, get us out of here. This is David Green for Brandon Traction Turner, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com. Your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.